Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon Ballard here with oh, my... Fallon. I got you first. <laughs> I know that... Stunning co-host, <laughs> Courtney Kay. I was dying at your video that you posted yesterday. What like, video? Where you had your hair and makeup done, and so you were, like, walking down the driveway. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay. You didn't see it, go back to Courtney's Instagram and watch it, because it's hilarious. Well, it was upsetting, because I did my hair, I did my makeup, <laughs> I liked my outfit, and I walked to my car. Literally, nobody is outside to witness this. But you know what they did witness? Uh, last night, me getting the mail in my sweats, hair in a messy bun, and I couldn't find my shoes, so I'm wearing Michael's flip-flops, which are, like, <laughs> huge. I'm like, you know what? Of course. Of course, this is how my neighbors are just always going to think I'm a literal disaster. <laughs> I mean, that is the way of it, right? Like, yeah. you go out, like, I am the kind of person where when I go out to write in a cafe, like, I look like a gremlin still. Amazing. Like, oh, my God. I am in so my leggings and my sports bra and my hair is a hot mess. And every time I'm just, like, waiting for somebody to, like, see me and be like, oh, hey, Fallon, how's it going? And I'm like, fuck. I look mm-hmm. like a you know, <laughs> You know what's the worst for that is Target. Ugh. Because yes. the more it's like, oh, I, ju- I just got to run in. I got to run in. And then sure enough, you're like, oh, that's my husband's ex-girlfriend from high school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's like it's so, literally every say, time. That's like one of the good things about not living in the city where I grew up and where I used to teach. Um, is that this when is I do true. run into people, it's not as mortifying. Um, <laughs> but that happens every time. I go to visit my in-laws and we go somewhere every time, every time. I'm like, there's somebody I went to high school with. (laughs) Amazing. How's it going? What are you up to now? You know, I, (laughs) I actually had a very strange feeling come over me in the past couple of days that has maybe never happened to me before where I I'm really excited to work on revisions for this romanticy. Like that never happens to me. Oh my god! I hate revising. I hate editing so much. And I like, I don't know, just I took a little break from it. And some things have just like sort of unlocked in my mind that are oh like god. kind of making it all come together. Um, she says without having actually done any <laughs> of that. So we'll see if it works. In my head, it's all coming together. We'll see if that translates to coming together on paper. Yeah, but this um, is like the locker room pep. I'm still in my Ted Lasso area era. Yes. FYI, I have forgiven Nate Shelley. Okay, but this is like your pre your locker room your locker room talk. Yeah, yeah. you gotta pep yeah. yourself up. Like I could do this. I could totally do this. You can. Uh, and so I'm feeling good about it. The only frustrating part is that I have no time to like sit down and do it all. Uh, And so that part has been like, like I hate when I like really am inspired and want to work, but I can't because of the limitations of everything else in my life. Um, It's like, that's a really frustrating feeling. So I'm just like, like I'm itching to just like get my hands on it and get back to it and make something happen. It's, it has spun its magic. (laughs) <laughs> it has okay so exciting yeah. I, I, so working on my uh pitch that i have been talking about for 500 years which is still happening <laughs> i'm so excited for it taking my sweet ass time as you should but i have redone the outline like three times and <laughs> i'm now like uh like a third of the way through this outline that it's on now And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take a stab at like writing the chapters. And they're terrible. Like they, they're like an outline, but it's fine. No, 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 no. (laughs) It's like, it's not like real reading, but um, then I got stuck and I thought of another pitch that like came to me at 3am and wrote it all out. I was like, I should be writing that book. Um, But then I like woke up the next morning and had an idea that fixed everything for the other book 
I'm like, well, I'm just going to pitch two books. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you might as well. Um, But like, it kind of reminded me that sometimes creativity just takes the time it takes. Yeah. And you just kind of have to trust in the process instead of like trying to strangle it out. Yes. (laughs) To fit your timeline. Well, and that's the nice thing about not being on a deadline is like, you know, on the one hand right now, I'm, you know, working on this first draft of book four, which is due October 1st. Like I have to turn it in. And like, if I had to turn it in tomorrow, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Like it's in okay enough shape that I could send it to my editor. Of course, I still want to like fix things before I make her suffer through reading it. But, um, but with the romanticy, it's nice because like, yes, I have this sort of timeline, like I want it to go on sub and all that. But like, the only one who's putting the deadlines on me is me at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's nice to have that freedom to be able to take your time and like, let it percolate and like, let it come and let it flow naturally. Also nice. And like, a really good form of self care for writers is like to intentionally take your time, Mm -hmm. like, like you're doing with it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of external pressure in the publishing industry, no matter how you are publishing, whether indie or traditional. Yeah. And like before you kind of put your project out there, it's kind of amazing to just take that time to build it up when it's just your own little baby, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of our own little babies, (laughs) look at that segue. (laughs) Um, so, uh, we are recording this on Tuesday, which means tickets for our second in-person event, the Boozy Book Brunch. Say I'm that have to take my time. Went on sale this morning. We've already sold several. I'm super excited. Um, but basically we're having a brunch with like, what we have, 14 Mm-hmm. As of right now, we have 14 incredible romance authors all coming to Boozy Book Brunch. It's going to be in Solvang, California, which is like one of my favorite places in the whole mm-hmm. world. It is the cutest little town ever. Um, it has its own Hallmark movie. Like, it not only has it been like movies have been just like filmed there there's one that is actually set in solving and it's super (laughs) cute i think it's called like a very christmas town or something like that yeah it's one of those um but it's just the freaking cutest place ever we're gonna have wine and pastries and hang out and sign books um and i'm just like so so excited for this event it's gonna be super super fun yes it is it is on sunday october 2nd from 22nd 22nd. <laughs> Sunday, October 22nd. Yes. From 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. And what's going to be so fun about having it during this season is like solving is coming out mm. in all of its fall glory. It's going to be so I am like seriously. Oh, as we were just recording this, we just got another ticket order. <laughs> it just well, yeah. popped up on my phone. Um, so. I am hoping as a Southern Californian because Solving is like sort of Central California. So I'm like, it might actually feel like fall. Right? I know. <laughs> I might be able to wear a sweater. Oh my God. <laughs> Imagine. <So exciting. laughs> Best day ever. I, I know. Wait. It's going to be so fun just to like have a really, I, I, what's really exciting about like the smaller gatherings like this, it's like you really get the opportunity to talk with people and connect yeah. and like have such a good time. And yeah, it's going to be, be so amazing. amazing. So all of the details are on our website under events. And um, yeah, we and hope to see Instagram, you there. And it's going to be yeah. super fun. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that too. I was like, I really love events like this because, um, and I hope some readers come who are also writers because I feel like it's such yeah. a good opportunity um, if you are an aspiring writer to just like tap into the knowledge of all these people who are here and willing to help you and answer your questions. And um, yeah, you know, that's just like such a good opportunity that we haven't had as much over the past, you know, few pandemic years. So. I'm just super excited to 
drink some wine with you guys and chat yes. books, chat romance books. And there's going to be a bookseller on site. Um, so you can also buy a bunch of books, which is also my favorite pastime. Yes. Books. <laughs> with coupon. Reading. Yeah, with a coupon, which is, you know, basically means you are losing money if you don't buy books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's how that's, math works. That's some girl math for you. <laughs> I've seen those reels on Instagram. They're so funny. They're like, why? I ordered this uh, two months ago and it just arrived. So it's free. It's free. I was telling my husband. So I always do the Target like drive up orders. And they have now added a feature where when you say you're on your way to pick up your order, you can also order a Starbucks and they will bring it out to your car. Oh, hell my yeah. husband was like, great, this is going to cost you so much money. And I was like, no, 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 no. Because when I don't go into Target, I'm automatically saving money. So, so this, <laughs> coffee paid for itself. this coffee is free. Because oh, I'm not walking it through the Target doors and therefore spending more money on things I don't need. I mean, That's honestly, you're not wrong. Right? I having mean, that Starbucks brought to your car is just saves you like a hundred dollars at least. At least. I don't ever leave Target without spending a hundred dollars. So <laughs> if I do my drive up order and it's like forty dollars, then I've yeah. already saved sixty dollars. <laughs> so you get that coffee man. I love this. This is how life works. Um okay. So we have an amazing episode today, and <clears throat> you might have noticed that it is coming out on a Friday, which is not the norm for us. Um, we, and I think we talked about this in an episode before, but we, like mid-July, found ourselves completely booked through the end of the year with recordings, and, which is just like incredible and mind-blowing, and I think we were both just yeah. like, wait, that so can't humbling. be real. <laughs> I know, like, so grateful, so humbling, so cool. Yeah, and so we have found ourselves in this position where we have more authors to talk to than we have days left in the year to publish podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. So we are doing a few bonus episodes with some of our, like, super ultra favorite authors, Um because otherwise we wouldn't have time to get them in this year. And we want you to hear these amazing interviews because they're just really awesome people and so many good books. So many good books. I can't get over it. And I can't I read them all. <laughs> Has the podcast become our new TBR? Oh my God. That's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's so true. Um, but yeah, so you will see occasionally on Fridays popping up here and there some bonus episodes so that we can make sure we can get everybody mm -hmm. in. Um, and today's bonus episode is with the incredible JL, who when we recorded this, we did not know yet. Uh, but House of Mary and her new book ended up on the New York Times bestseller list. Yay! Much, much deserved because it's just absolutely a gorgeous, gorgeous book. Um, and actually, when we recorded this, I realized this is like this editing in it. Editing it, we thought this episode was going to come out in October, so there are some random references to things like that, <laughs> uh, which obviously no longer apply because it's September still. We switched um, it up, so just just disregard those little tidbits. But um, we have an amazing conversation with her about world building and writing IP projects. And then, of course, gushing about Bridgerton because it's Bridgerton. Yeah. And I also need you all to know that the entire time we were recording, JL wore a crown. Uh-huh. And it was stunning. It was stunning. And I was like, oh, my God. I mean, I really, I really, and like the passion that like she speaks like about her amazing book world about I literally can't talk right now because I'm picturing like this like, gorgeous <laughs> image of like JL in in the crown anyway it was amazing it took my breath away just like the book and um you're gonna you're gonna love this episode yeah it really made me want to go out and buy myself a tiara and then I was like none of the characters in my fantasy book wear a tiara but they do have like 
Moulin Rouge-esque like feather absolutely jewel headdresses and so I was like well obviously I need one of those your book launch we're all gonna wear those Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. thank you for just saying book launch like assuming that it's gonna be a thing obviously it's happening (laughs) it's happening all right well what is happening for sure is this incredible episode and also boozy book brunch. So get your tickets for that. And then triple B, baby. Triple B. We will be right back with the fabulous JL. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. Um, I don't know if you can like hear the totally fangirl smile in my voice, but we are like so beyond thrilled to have today's guest with us. We are uh, freaking out on the inside and a little bit on the outside too. Um, We are so excited to welcome JL today. JL is the New York Times indie bestselling and award-winning author of multiple books, including Against the Tide, an original prequel novel tie-in to the Little Mermaid live action film. Her debut duology, Wings of Ebony, dubbed an incredible debut by NPR and Best Fantasy Book by Pop Sugar, was a 2022 NAACP Image Award nominee for Outstanding Literary Work for Youth and Teens, an Amazon Editor's Pick for Best Science Fiction and Fantasy, a Barnes & Noble YA Book Club Pick, a First Novelist American Library Association Honor Book, and the recipient of a Kirkus Starred Review. Um, That just is an incredible list. I can't even believe all of that. Her forthcoming blockbuster fantasy romance trilogy, House of Marion, is being translated into 10 languages across five continents. The former educator credits her nomadic lifestyle and humble inner city beginnings as inspiration for her novels. When she's not writing, Elle can be found on the hunt for desserts without chocolate, drowning herself in Regency reads and looking for any excuse to wear a tiara, which she is currently doing. And I'm obsessed. Obsessed. (laughs) Welcome. We're so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat. Um, that bio is stacked. <laughs> yes. We bow down. It's a little updated. <laughs> um, so amazing. Well, we're so deserved. Yes, so thrilled to have you here. Your new book is just so incredibly gorgeous. Like the moment I opened the package and took it out, I was just oh like, oh, "It's so pretty," and the cover underneath the jacket is so pretty, and the map is so pretty. It's just absolutely stunning. Thank you. It's so funny. We are actually in the midst of discussing book two's cover. And like everyone at the publisher is just like, we have set the bar very high. Yes. (laughs) For real. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know that is always kind of like the scary part is when you get a really good first cover, you're like, oh my gosh, how are we going to, how are we going to top this one? But the present, yeah, I mean, the presentation is a work of art. In itself, so thank you. Well, I think it also matches the opulence of the story, mm-hmm. and so that was really important to my editor and team to like evoke sort of the vibe of the story, just like holding the book. Absolutely yes. achieved for sure. Um, well, on that note, can you tell us a little bit about House of Marion? Sure. Um, so I like to say House of Marion is like Game of Thrones meets Succession with. Pretty Dresses and Tiaras. Another one of my favorite comps that has been coming out lately is like a Dark Academia meets Bridgerton. Um, and essentially the story, it's a young adult novel. It follows 17-year-old Kel who's lived her entire life on the run because of forbidden dark magic that she has. When she's almost caught by an assassin hunting her from this uh, secret order, she flees to one of the training schools for proper magic. She plans to master this proper form of magic, if you will, to bury her dark magic forever. Only her dark magic has no intention of being buried, and she might be, totally is, falling in love with an, uh, <laughs> falling in love with a dragon or an assassin, as they're called in uh, in training, from a rival house. Woo! That, that was from memory. Man, I should start <laughs> incredible that was perfect like if anybody was like oh i maybe haven't heard of that book they are now like googling and buying it immediately (laughs) (laughs) so good um yeah i yeah just the whole 
like the rivals. I mean, I, I guess they're not really rivals, but just sort of like the tension that builds between the two of them is just so good. Thank you. I love is by far my favorite part of the whole like the whole story. So yeah, step aside, yeah. fourth wing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well, can you tell us a little bit about what inspired this book? Sure. So it's kind of creepy. I started the idea for this book came to me as an image. A lot of my stories come to me as images and the image for this one, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend about, we were just talking like princess stuff. And like, I'm super ADHD. So she was like talking and you know how you just like zone out and your brain just goes somewhere else. Maybe that's just me. But like she was talking and all of a sudden she went like silent, like the Charlie Brown, like teacher, like not really silent. But like, <laughs> wah, wah, and like wah. I was laser focused on this picture of this crown or tiara growing out of someone's skull. And it's like, once you see something like that, you can't just like unsee it. And so that that image just ruminated with me for a very long time. And I decided to explore building a world, like a magic system around a type of magic that would do that. And so when I thought about crowns and princess stories, I didn't want to do anything like royalty-esque. Um, but I eventually sort of, as I began to like research and history and really think about what would be a cool world to explore, I thought about Bridgerton and how much I love sort of the Regency era and I thought, you know what, why don't we make it a debutante culture or debutante society, but make it modern so that there's a reason they wear these tiaras or diadems like we call them in the book. And then we come up with a really like gritty reason that they have to grow out of their skull, which kind of sounds painful, but it's actually not painful. Um, it's uncomfortable, but it's not painful. So I say this like I've experienced it, but you know. <laughs> I mean, you sort of have, you sort of have as you were writing it. That's true. That's true. I, I do have to say, like, one of my first thoughts as I was reading that part was like, oh my God, I can't imagine like sleeping with something like that. <laughs> That's I'm like, I need to curl useful. up. <laughs> I mean, you can, so at a certain point, as your magic matures, you can like hide it and show it at will. And so it beca- it gets a lot, but a lot easier once you like hide it, you can sleep more comfortably. But until then... I mean, in my head, there are like these electus, which is sort of the entry level, uh, I guess they'd be primus. So electus, primus, and secondus are the three different like classes of students as they pursue these rights to join the secret order. And so electus have no diadem or mass. They haven't emerged. But once they emerge, they have passed first right. And so second right as they're working on second right, they're referred to as primus. So the primus students, I just imagine them walking around and like laying with like like books under the the base of their skull or like roll towels so that they like can like elevate their head because it's like very uncomfortable, I would imagine. Um, just like listening to you talk about that, like you seem so immersed in this world that you have created, which as somebody who mostly only writes contemporary, like I'm always so fascinated to talk with fantasy writers because it's just like this whole other level of what, you have to do and create and do you have like a favorite part of the world building process gosh you know it's one of those things where like you always love the part you're not in so like when I'm drafting I'm like gosh I love revising and when I'm revising it's like I just want to write something new it's just the perpetual like dilemma of like this sucks something must be better (laughs) um, let's see I do I do think the the drafting phase, which it's ironic that I'm saying this because I'm drafting book two right now and it's like misery, but I, (laughs) in theory, at least there is something very cool about the exploratory phase that is drafting. Um, The thing about drafting, at least the first draft or so, or the first couple of drafts is I really like to let myself explore what is cool. And so at a certain point, my character's arcs will take over and like the twists that need to happen and like the world building I need to do, but there's a certain point early in the drafting process where I just kind of like, I just kind of like unbuckle myself and go, you know what, whatever feels wild and unexpected and whatever's just going to like destroy my readers, let's just throw it in there and see what happens. And there's something so like reckless and irresponsible about that, that I'm very attracted to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I love it too, because it like you get a trust in the process. 
absolutely. Like I'm convinced that our subconscious brain actually is much smarter than our conscious brain. Mm. So like my story is already in my subconscious brain and then my conscious brain is just trying to get out of the way. So no, I do. I think the coolest things come out when I just like, like unbridle myself and just kind of go there because what I'm, what I keep telling myself is I'm drafting book two is because I'm really leading in you guys. Like, Oh my gosh, you thought book one was wild. You are buckle up. (laughs) Exciting. Um, But I keep telling myself like, it's okay. Just go there. If it's too much, my editor will pull it back. Like really trusting my team and trusting my process to like, let my creative instinct just be free on the page and then like, see what, we come up with so we'll see (laughs) Uh, I have a question about your magic system too is it like intrinsically tied into your world building or do you kind of build them separately alongside each other so initially I would say they started more separate but my subconscious being the brilliant mind that it is compensating for my very not brilliant conscious brain um (laughs) was weaving them together thematically. And so towards the later drafts, I began to see this beautiful synergy between wow. the world building and just like the character arcs. And I began to see how they like flow together. And so I started to braid them and weave them more intentionally mm-hmm. because they were so complementary. That's probably my favorite part of the editing process. When you get to that point and you're like, wow, this actually all connects. We were just talking about that. Yeah. So subconscious. Yes. (laughs) I knew what I was doing the whole time. Totally did not. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Magical. And like as as someone in the drafting phase for book two, I am constantly fighting myself to believe that that is still there. Like when you're in it, it's very hard to be like, no, 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 it's going to come together even though it's a hot mess right now. And so I'm, I'm every day preaching to myself, like, it's okay. Your subconscious knows what it's doing. Just throw it all in there. Everything but the kitchen sink, maybe the kitchen sink too, um, <laughs> and see what happens. So that's kind of where I am. And I'm trying to remind myself of what you're saying. Yeah. Cause I feel like there are points where like our conscious brain, the anxiety kicks in like, Oh God, it's going off the rails, you know? Totally. But then I, you're so right. Like when it is going off the rails, it's almost like that's where we create our best work. Totally. I oh, just, I love that. I just finished writing a scene. I have no idea if this is going to stay in the draft. So this is not exactly a spoiler, but I just finished writing a scene and without spoiling this for you, there are a lot of dead dragons in this room. And I'm just like, <laughs> this is technically mass murder. <laughs> what do I do with that? And I'm like, copy war. And like all these other books I love. I'm like, we'll just leave it. Fine. We'll just leave it. Fine. Yeah. Fine. Fine. My editor can fix the mess. So I don't know. <laughs> we love a little mass murdering book. No problem. If you've we ever trust. read Alexandra Bracken's latest series. Oh, man. Silver in the Bone. So I just try to remind myself to just let myself be free on the page and trust that it'll it'll get better. Yep. Yeah. It will, for sure. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the romance in this book. Because, of course, that's always the best part. Um, So how did their love story sort of come about for you? Um, Well, okay. So it all started, I would say, with Kel. Like, I knew I wanted a love story to be in this world. But it's like, what kind of love story? Was I going to have cinnamon roll and, like, super strong, like, aware of her strength, female main character, you know? And so what I landed on was the story that I'm trying to tell in this world, you have this beautiful opulent secret society that is magical and they use their wealth and their status, their social status as a sort of uh, shield for their exclusivity. Like that hides their magic because people just kind of write them off as, oh, those are just those bougie people who keep to themselves. That's why they're so secretive. And really it's because they have magic. So in contemporary fantasy, I needed a sort of a a medium to explain that. And so that's what I came up with. And so I knew that if I'm entering this beautiful, opulent world, it was either going to be beautiful and opulent through and through, or it was going to be secretly dangerous. And one of those is vastly more interesting than the other. So Hmm. I knew I needed a main character who was going to enter this world and see it one way, but learn about it a different way. And so because of that, 
I knew that she needed to be come from outside of the world, but have a relationship with it. And so because of who I needed my main character, Kel, to be, it sort of necessitated who my love interest needed to be so they could juxtapose each other. Mm-hmm. And so you have Jordan who lives and breathes the order. It's called the prestigious order of highest mysteries. The nickname is usually, it's usually referred to as the order. But you have Jordan who lives and breathes the order. He is a dragon. Dragon is the nickname for assassins in this world. And there's a whole history behind why they're called that name. And it's all, it's in the book. But essentially you have, he comes from a line of 12 dragons before him. They've all been assassins in the order. It's like what he's been bred to do. He's known since he was like 10 years old that this is what he was going to do. He was going to hunt down and kill those with forbidden magic, which is exactly what our main character has, obviously. That obviously just screams romance. And then <laughs> he also is going to just sort of live to serve and protect this this order because he believes philosophically in what it's supposed to be. So you have a little bit of like Anthony from season two Bridgerton. You have a little bit like he has a very ideal idealistic view of what the order should be. In comes Kel, who's lived her entire life as a shadow. And like, I want you to really wrap your head around what I mean. Like, she does not, she has not told anyone her real name her entire life. Anytime she goes to a school, if they start asking too many questions about her home environment, her mother moves cities and changes schools. She does not join extracurricular activities. She does not have friends. She sits and eats lunch alone every single day of her life. Like, She's 17 and she's like learned to be a shadow and she's learned to like be content, if you will. She's sort of, she's buckling up the seams in chapter one. She's like, I'm kind of sick of this life. But you have this person who is very skilled at being seen by no one. And then she shows up at House of Marion, on the House of Marion doorstep and her name is etched on the pediment of the building, which is just kind of like, whoa. And then she walks inside and everybody looks at her, the granddaughter of the headmistress, like she should know where she is. Jordan sees right through her, though. He can tell that she's very good at magic, but she's very kind of um, unsettled in this world because it's new to her. Nobody knows where she's been. Um, and so he's drawn to her right away because he sees her potential to embody what the order stands for. Um, she, of course, is worried he sees that he's going to see her dark magic and kill her. Um, but I just, to me, the the juxtaposition of their ideological differences made them the perfect couple to fall in mm-hmm. love. Because hello, conflict. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and tension. The tension yes. is so good. <laughs> oh, thank you. I worked so hard at that. Gosh, it was so difficult. Many, many revisions on that specifically. The angst. Yeah. The angst, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I feel like, especially when you have uh, like YA teenage characters, like the mm-hmm. angst is always angstier. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just... It is because they're YA and they're like, everything's new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which is just so delightful and fun to read. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun um, creating the shadow daddy that is Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I also love with like kind of this opposites attract trope, how they kind of fill in, they round each other out, right? A hundred percent. That was completely intentional. And I think the tricky part, because this is a trilogy, this is book one in a trilogy. Mm -hmm. I think the tricky part is like giving too much too soon. Mm Because like, I don't want the plot to change across the books. I want the characters to change across the books. And so in this like, fast-paced, several-week environment in this house, it was sort of a pressure chamber for Kel and Jordan. And so I really struggled or grappled with, I guess, how much change were they going to undergo in one book to allow enough room for them to continue to grow and change across other books. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I've said this publicly, but in book two, we do get Jordan's POV. He's a POV character. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's so exciting. I'm excited to be in his head. It's a scary place, but you know. <laughs> yeah, how is that experience for you? It's very different because I would say narratively the challenge is Jordan is very broody and a bit scary and a bit, you know, he has that whole like why broody love interest thing going where you're like, I don't know if he's hot or if he wants to kill me or both. <laughs> um, 
definitely and that both. Works. <laughs> that works well when you're not in their head because you don't know what they're thinking. I think yeah. the challenge in this book is now we're in his head. And so you have all of his thoughts, his vulnerable ones. Um, he is very good at lying to himself. So there, there, there's some good tension there. Um, I think about like Stephanie Garber's um, Once Upon a Broken Heart, which is my favorite of her books, that series with Jax and Evangeline. Jax is not a POV character. And I think the beautiful thing about that is that you can kind of see how his actions kind of tell on him. He's like, I don't care. Then he'll do something that like completely seems like he cares. And so it was uniquely <laughs> challenging as writing Jordan in this, in book two, to make sure that there's still that sort of battle of will in him and that the readers don't lose the, is he going to, is he not going to kind of tension. So that's been uniquely challenging, but a lot of fun um, because it's forced me to examine the ways in which we protect ourselves by lying to ourselves, just as humans, mm. like we protect ourselves from anxieties and fear. It's just like a, it's almost a subconscious reaction. And so yeah, I don't want to spoil the end of book one, but like Jordan, for Jordan to change, he has to accept some things about the world that are not going to be easy to digest. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to be something he just sees a bit of evidence and accepts. It's going to be something he fights against um, if he changes at all. It's going to be something that he fights very hard. His conscious brain fights very hard against because it will it just like shatters the, it would shatter the ground he's standing on. And so that's not going to be a, a position his brain wants to put himself in. Hmm. So it's been, it's been a, a cool um, exploration of writing very deep nuanced characters, which has hmm. really stretched my writing chops. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Already counting down to that because <laughs> I love when we have those brooding characters and we get to then see inside their head and see those vulnerabilities and yeah. sort of like crack the the exterior and get into the gooey parts. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, all right. We touched on this a little bit, but I want to hear if you're willing to share because uh as our listeners know, I have been writing this romanticy that has basically been killing me for like <laughs> months and months. You're and doing months amazing <laughs> because I really struggle with world building because I am a contemporary writer at heart, and so kind of branching into that world has been difficult. So I would love to sort of get an insight or hear about your world building process and like. How does that all come together for you? Do you use spreadsheets and maps and like, kind of like, give us all the details that you're willing to share? Sure. No, I'm, I'm an open book. Um, the short answer is my process changes with each book. It really depends on what the book requires. For this particular trilogy, I was wanting to create a universe that had enough depth and breadth to be able to tell several stories from it. I wanted this, this world to have sort of the richness and depth that you see in like the Grishaverse where it has mm. a history and you have like age old loyalties and age old rivalries. And those things feel very developed and real. And so in order to do that, I actually decided to write those experiences. So I did a lot of backstory writing, which is one of my favorite practices. Um, it's very like pressure free. doesn't matter what it sounds like. I mean, nobody's really going to ever read it, but maybe you're like favorite CP and I would take these moments, like, for example, the moment Jordan found out he had magic. I wrote that moment in his head. It was a very traumatic experience. I'll share this because people will probably forget by book two. But um, he was running through the halls of his house, which is not House of Marion. It's, it's uh, a different house. And he was running through those halls and he saw something very bad happened. He saw someone murdered. <clears throat> he like witnessed it in this house. And it was like in private, like a private meeting that went sideways. And he, it freaked him out. He was like, I want to say he was eight, nine or 10, really young. So he's like running through, this house has secret passageways in it. He's running and he stumbles into like the big study area where the piano is and his piano tutor was meeting him and he completely forgotten. And he's like completely, like, he's like shaking and pale and his piano tutor is like, sit down, let's start your lesson. He, he like can't get this image out of his head. And at this point, he's only sprouted magic in spurts, like little, little whiffs of it here and there, but he hadn't fully 
he had sprouted like anatomy magic where you can change your anatomy, but he hadn't like fully shown his capacity for the types of magic he would have. And one thing that's important to know about this world is everyone has one type of magic. And if you are able to access more than one type of magic, you are usually considered to be dragon material. But being a dragon is by invitation only. So if you show if you show more than one sign of magic, the dragon brotherhood will sort of keep an eye on you as you grow. And if you get to three, because three is the is the required number, then they may invite you if um, all of the stars align. So at this point, Jordan Jordan had like shown whiffs of anatomy or magic. He sits down at the piano. And he just starts playing furiously. Music is how he calms himself. When his parents would fight, he would play his piano. When he, like, would be scared at night, he would get out of bed and play his piano. So music, like, soothes his soul. So he's playing furiously and trying to get these images out of his head. And this, this is a scene I've written, as you can probably tell. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get these images out of head, his head of, like, what he saw. Like, the way the guy's face looked right when he died. And the way the people were standing. It was just, he was, like, horrified. No barking at me. No. And so he starts playing and I can't remember exactly what happens, but he stops playing suddenly, just freaking out. His hands are not on the keys, but the music is still going Mm. because his magic is transfiguring all the notes in the air into sound. And his piano teacher stops immediately and realizes that he's just unearthed a second strand of magic, which for someone who's only like nine or 10 years old is extremely like impossible. And so he looks to be a very, very promising future dragon, but it's not lost on me that the moment that he like proves his worth is when he's the most terrified and scared and vulnerable. Um, And how hardened he is against ever feeling that way again as like an older person. So like, I could not make that up without like writing it and experiencing the emotion of it. So I've written about 300,000 words of backstory in various. Damn. (laughs) Come here. I've written 300,000 words of various characters' backstories, but that's literally how I world build this book because I just need like the grandmother character. I've written her whole past as well because I needed to fully understand every single piece of nuance in terms of how she's going to react when Kel shows up. Is it going to be anger? Is it going to be joy? Is it going to be joy or anger masters joy? Like I needed to understand every subtlety. And so world building for me is letting myself explore by writing those past moments. Amazing. That's fascinating. I love that. And I also want to ask, I know aesthetic is a big um, thing for this book. I mean, before we started recording, we were just talking about how beautiful the packaging is and how it just really ties into the story. And as you're writing, are there like certain colors or aesthetics that really kind of run through as you write? That's a wonderful question. Yeah, I definitely picture sort of the opulence of the Regency era. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like the material that the gowns are made out of and like the paneling on the walls and like what the hallways smell like. And like, you know, when you walk into like an old house, how the lamp, the lights aren't as bright as like these sort of LED recessed lights. They're kind of, you know, glowy and warm and how that adds like atmosphere to just walking down a regular hallway. Mm -hmm. And so I try to bring those textures and sights and sounds alive in the writing so that you feel fully immersed in the opulence of this world, because I want you to be seduced by it because Mm -hmm. Kel is seduced by it. And so I want the reader to be fully in her shoes, equally immersed. Ah, so cool. So amazing. Um, And you definitely achieve that because it is one of those books that as you're reading it, you're like, Ooh, like I can feel this like all up in the vibes. Okay. And we wanted to chat with you because in addition to the incredible house of Marion, you also wrote against the tide, which was a little mermaid tie in, which of course we are both obsessed with the little mermaid movie, (laughs) as you can probably tell by Courtney's hair. (laughs) I did. I Disney bound it as Ariel. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So we would love to hear a little bit about that process. Just like, um, you know, what it was like being able to, you know, work with a character that we all already sort of like know and love and like how that whole IP process worked out. 
Totally. Yeah. So, um, IP can vary a lot, but with this particular project, I was given a lot of creative liberty. They did not give me a plot or anything like that. They had read my debut novel, Wings of Ebony. And in that novel, there's a sister relationship that's very central to the story. And they were looking for a prequel to the movie, but they didn't want it to be a love story because they wanted Eric to be Ariel's first love. They wanted it to be more of a sister story. And so they came to me and said, um, my Disney editor emailed my agent and was like, I read Wings of Ebony. I really love the sister relationship. Do you think Jess would be able, would be interested in writing a prequel to the movie? I thought it was a joke because it was like the month of April. It was like April Fool's, ha ha. No, it was not a joke. It was That's amazing. I was just like, what? My agent has a sense of humor, but that's not her style of humor. So I was just kind of like, um. But anyway, and so yes, they were serious. <laughs> and they, the only guideline they gave me was it needs to be about the sisters and she cannot break the surface of the water. And I was like, well, which sister? And they were like, all of them. And I was like, in one book? Okay. <laughs> so um, it was really cool. I think what was most different about it and I, is one, I knew I could not get attached. Like this story belongs to mm. the fandom and the canon, right? And so I wanted to add to that. I wanted to add to that in a way that was unique and fresh and from my perspective. But I also recognized that like the world building and who Ariel is and her voice already exists. And so that was very different because I'm writing a voice that I know versus one that I'm creating, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember when I was embellishing the world building and coming up with all of the different like things about the different sisters, like their personalities and where they live and how they function and who their friends are. I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, is this okay? Like, am I allowed to decide these things for, <laughs> for, for Ariel and the royal family? And it was, it was very, um, it was daunting at certain points. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, are mermaid fans going to like love this? Are they going to read this and go, this doesn't sound like Ariel. It was just, but at a certain point I had to just trust the process that, you know, they reached out to me for a reason. And this is a historic project. My uh, book is the only iteration of this sort of mermaid live action that has Halle Bailey's face on the cover. Um, and so it was just was an honor all around to be able to do the project. And so I kind of had to like say, okay, well, if I'm going to do the project, then I need to trust myself and do the project. And so I would get those sort of insecurities and then like try to quiet them and just lean into trusting myself. It was very different from anything I'd ever written, um, but a very cool experience. I'm super grateful to have been a part of it. So cool. Yeah, that sounds so fun. Um, is it something you would do again? I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was definitely an enjoyable experience. I don't know if I would do it again um, for for a few different reasons. It was just hard in a different way than writing my own stuff. But um, maybe I'm very selective about those types of things. So maybe if the right project came around, maybe so. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That has to feel yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm sure it's of course it's always like an honor to be considered for things like that and to you know have somebody reach out to you and offer you um at the end of the day it's like it is your name on the cover and your book and you want to feel good about what you're putting out there 100 percent. yeah um okay now it's time to talk about the really fun stuff (laughs) (laughs) i mentioned before we started recording that as i have been reading house of mary and i am like getting images of Queen Charlotte from Bridgerton, the younger version with like her amazing headpieces and all of her crowns and tiaras yes. that she wears. Um, and her. I know you are a Bridgerton fan. I, uh, I'm i hoping by the time this releases, we might have like a trailer for season three. Oh I don't God. know. It feels like we've been waiting for it forever. Um, but I would love to hear all of your thoughts about what we've seen in Bridgerton, about what's coming up in Bridgerton, like fill us in on all your hot takes. I am so excited for season three. First of all, I love the Queen Charlotte rendition. I was a little mm-hmm. behind the curve watching it because of a deadline. And I was just like utterly obsessed. I kept chasing my obsessed. husband around the house saying with the I love you sound. And like he was just like, <laughs> stop, stop, stop. And at one point I was planning to do this ridiculous TikTok and we never did it. And I need to, I need to do it. Oh, but please. it might, yes. Just the idea for the TikTok was so funny because every time he, you remember that sound was like everywhere on TikTok. It was like, um, gosh, I, I know it. So what is it? Uh, 
I will stand with you between the heavens and the oh, earth. Yes. I will oh, yeah. that one. Oh. Yeah. So why do I know that? Gosh. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, so I'm chasing my husband around when the sound comes on. <laughs> And he's always like, no, no, oh my gosh, here you go again. And turn it, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And then I was thinking it'd just be so fun if like, as I'm chasing him around unsuccessfully, like in the final clip, he turns around and he like bursts into George's line. Oh Wouldn't my God, just- yes. <laughs> I converted him. I got yes, it. Yes, you have to. Hey, that's like the best TikTok idea I've ever come up with and I've yet to execute it. And I might <laughs> just do it. Even though the sound is not trending anymore, I just... Anyway, now so, you need to do it before this comes out so nobody steals your ideas. Now you have a deadline. Right. Now everybody knows. <laughs> but yeah, so I would say the Queen Charlotte one was probably my favorite. Oof. Which is wild. So good. I, I love don't, you don't do you disagree, Courtney? Oh no, I I agree. I I have not cried that much, like during a show as I did watching that. Like Yeah. Oh, it was just my goodness. It was just, man. So let's see. I love season one. I thought the Duke was just like irresistible. And I just thought it was so fun watching them navigate sort of those newlywed issues. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm watching my cat because he's thinking about peeing on my fresh towels. Oh, um, gosh. Go get go get him if you need to. <laughs> before. At this point, I'm like, you know what? Those are the towels I've used to clean it up. So we're just going to see what happens. Uh, anyway. Season two, I absolutely loved Simone Ashley. The main oh. character loved her. And then, oh my God. Oh, Anthony's like, he reminds me so much of Jordan. Mm-hmm. But um, I love sort of the push pull between them. And I thought it was very complicated with the sister there because it's like, you can't, that's your sister's. Hey, <laughs> make a better choice. The dogs are looking at the dogs are looking at him like, is he really gonna do that mean? You know, cats, they're just like oh, yeah, they do what they want. Yeah. My cat is typically so, pulling tacks off of the bulletin boards. <laughs> so impressed that he can do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so I was really excited with like the way they make the the romances fresh in each one. And so mm-hmm. the third one, I think Penelope is the, the main character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super excited. I think she's a phenomenal actress. Oh, yes. Absolutely gorgeous. I'm super excited just to see, like, all of the representation that Shonda Rhimes does is, like, I have goosebumps just thinking about it. She's just so good at, like, being intentional, and I appreciate yes. that so much. Um, I am, My favorite love story, or the one I want with a love story, is the sister who's bookish. Um yes. Oh yeah, Eloise. 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 Yeah. Yes, yeah. Eloise. That's my girl. So that's the, <laughs> Love her. that's the one I am dying for. And then I'm actually reading one of the Bridgerton books. I think it's by my. Oh, this one. This is the one I'm reading. This is the one that my friends are like is the best one. This is the one I'm reading. Ooh. I don't know. Oh yeah. About which Francesca? It's about Francesca. Yeah. That's anyway, a good one. I am I am all in for Bridgerton. You know, if Shonda Rhimes wants to make House of Marion into a TV series, no one could do it better. Let me tell you. Literally. Well, I'm sure she's listening to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we're sure we're, we're besties. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for season three because um, I've read all of the books and... Penelope and Colin's story in the books is a little bit problematic for Mm -hmm. me because he doesn't actually like fall in love with her until she loses weight. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, obviously, I haven't read the books, but she's going to do it right. Yeah. Obviously, we're not changing Nicola Coughlin because she is fucking gorgeous and perfect and amazing. So I'm really excited to see how they kind of like put their twist on it to make it yeah. redeem better. that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's, be so good. it's time. I love it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I actually have found I've gone back and rewatched Queen Charlotte more than I've gone back and rewatched like the oh. original Bridgerton. And I just I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with both Same. of them. They're so perfect. Same. It's so good. Now that that sounds in my head, like, I know. I know. Look out! Look out! <laughs> I 
that one just did something to my heart that like no other show has ever done. It was yeah. so intense. I think I watched it in one night. Like I couldn't stop watching when it. She, when she goes under the bed with him. I know. Doesn't it just you? Jess. <laughs> No. Even just thinking about it. I know. Like... I'm like pre-period this week. So like I'm all ready. Like my default is like crying. So I'm about to just start gushing. It's a safe space. It is yes. so. <laughs> yeah. So. It's just perfect. And it's like a perfect show. And you don't get that very often. No, you don't. You I, don't. I also... All the rest. Yes. Oh my God. And they didn't shy away from any of it. Like they went there. And it was like, yeah. it was so well done. I know. So. Like, gosh, can you imagine? So I'm excited to keep going. And I do, I need to read the, I do need to read the books. I've only read the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do fly, right? That's the first one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how they push this story along because, and it's interesting having read the books because there are certain things that have happened in the show that for me, I don't want to spoil anything, but that make me wonder how far we're going to deviate because Mm -hmm. like Eloise's love interest in the book is pretty much an impossibility with the way that they have set it up on the show. So I'm like, Oh, is she going to get like a whole new love interest? (laughs) Like this is going to be amazing. And I like that we're sort of like going off in these different directions. Me too. Um, and I feel like totally. Eloise is a little bit queer coded. So like, I'm really sure. interested to see. Oh, yeah. I'm really oh, yeah. interested to see what they're going to do. Yeah. I kind of wondered that because I was like, well, they've basically made this original love interest, like not going to happen. So maybe they're doing that. So I'm that- so curious what that means. I need to read the books. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me yeah. too. I haven't read them. <laughs> I'll tell you when we stop recording if you want to know, but um, you should read the books. I mean, they're all really enjoyable, Um, but yeah, it's interesting when you are reading after having watched some of the show and there's just like, you know, it's just like a different lens when you're Mm -hmm. reading with with that in mind. Yes. 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 Hopefully by the time this airs, we have seen the season three trailer. We know when it's coming. Yes. Because I am so ready. Me too. So ready. Well, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I just, I really do. Like we need to fill that like Regency era fantasy Mm -hmm. YA show. So I like House of Marion would be absolutely incredible. So just, yeah, let's just like you. manifest that right now. Yeah. <laughs> Shonda. There's been some promising interest, but everything's on strike now because writers need to be paid, understandably. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. Um, yep. We'll just see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as soon as the strike is over, somebody needs to get on it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm and writing that down. Yes. <laughs> get on it. Get on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we let you go, we know that you are working on uh, book two. Do we have a release date or a title yet? I have both, but I can't. Sh- well, release date, it should be around the same time, uh, okay. roughly a year out. Um, title, I do have a title, but I don't think we've unveiled it yet. Okay. So we do. Two is vastly darker than book one, which should surprise no one who is read. <laughs> Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Um, and so then where can our listeners find you online so we can make sure to get that title and release date as soon as it's available? Sure. I am at author JL. Um, that's A-U-T-H-O-R-J-E-L-L-E on TikTok, on Instagram, Twitter, and I guess threads if we're still threading by October. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All the places. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Jess, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for being here today and chatting with us. Um, And I am like already counting down the days to book two. Thank you so much, Alan Courtney. This was wonderful. Oh, you're amazing. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. And we'll chat with you next week. 
Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K, K-A-E, on all social media platforms. And you can find me, Fallon Ballard, at Fallon Ballard, everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes. And a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time.